and welcome to this third episode of the Hockey Puckcast. This is a fan-run podcast about the Chicago Blackhawks by Hawks fans and for Hawks fans. My name is Tyler, and I am joined as always by my three co-hosts, Wally. The Blackhawks won a game during opening week. Yes, they did. Nick? Thank you, Vancouver, for Dickinson. Ah, yes. And John? We lost Tank Cup against the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, but I think we'll be fine. (laughs) And let's get into talking about these first three games the Blackhawks had this week. First up was opening night. It was the second night. There were teams that played on Tuesday, but our first game was Wednesday night in Colorado for their banner-raising night. And it was was a very good uh, ceremony beforehand. It was really uh, enjoyable to watch that, especially because of... One player who's now on the Hawks that had a really interesting and awesome moment on the ice. Yeah, uh, for Jack Johnson of the Chicago Blackhawks, he wore his Hawks gear for the Colorado banner raising ceremony. It being the fact that he was with the Avs last year, it was cool that he got a chance to be part of the ceremony because most players who leave organizations after winning the Cup, they don't get to celebrate the banner raising ceremony. Yeah. Um, I know that same night, uh, the game before that was the game that the uh, Capitals played, and that's where Darcy Kemper is now. And obviously, he was the starting goalie for that team last year. He didn't get to be there. Jack Johnson was just fortunate enough to be there. Yeah, same with Nazem Kadri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they played Kadri the, the night after, and they had this whole thing where they were talking about how he's not cutting any deals, this whole joke there. But um, beyond that, uh, it was really cool for Johnson because for the most part, he was sitting on the bench and watching the whole thing as like they were introducing the players and the rest of the team was uh sitting uh the rest of the team the rest of the hawks were uh not on the ice they were actually they weren't on the ice they were on the bench they were back in their own locker room but they let him go out there to experience that and then once they went up to the banner raising they let Jack Johnson come out on the ice and it seemed like everyone was really happy to have him there he was an important part to their roster may not been like that main goal scoring presence or defensive presence to that team. He was just one of those depth guys that helped out with the locker room. And it seemed like he was well respected within the Colorado locker room. Mm -hmm. And then after all that fanfare and the entirety of the hockey world shedding a tear, uh, they played a hockey game and it was a rematch from opening night the previous season where, ironically enough, as you mentioned on the previous show, Jack Johnson scored a goal against the Hawks, and it was an absolutely incredible goal that was scored. It was a ridiculous backhand. This game, not as much scoring from Jack Johnson, but there was a lot of scoring from the Avalanche again. Yeah, it was an interesting game. The Hawks did not look like they were there to show up. It was clearly... Colorado uh, playing easy mode in NHL 23, causing all chaos where the Hawks were stuck in the defensive zone. Probably for a good 45 minutes of play that entire night. It was a rough game for the Hawks that night. Yeah, uh, I was talking to Wally during the game, and I remember saying to him that the Blackhawks looked like spectators. And I specifically said they looked like the CPU while you're playing NHL. And also, the goal the Hawks scored looked like a goal that you would give up 
as a user because everyone was just fixated on the on the guy who was uh who had the puck and then it was just a pass over to a wide open person it looked like the kind of goal you give up even when you're playing on easy mode yeah it was and it was an interesting game clearly outclassed that night even though we were clearly outclassed i, I still feel like we gave up a pretty good fight even though we were are not that good Oh, I would agree there. I definitely agree. Like we weren't on backing down. Job. Like we didn't just we didn't roll over and die. We kind of we put as much effort as we could. And then so roll again, over we're and not died. good. Sure. Then we rolled over and died. <laughs> yeah. Well, the effort was there. The effort was fine. Um, the weird thing about this game, obviously, is the fact there was only one even strength goal the entire night, and yeah. it was I think the first goal that was scored. Other than that, everything else that happened that night both goals for the Hawks and then the other four goals for the avalanche all on the power play. So you look at that and it's like, Hey, over the even strength time when the Blackhawks weren't a man down, they performed pretty well. But on top of that, they did take six penalties. We are so undisciplined. It is kind of scary. Yeah. Like it's one thing to like, it's one thing to lose five on five, but when you're constantly shooting yourself in the foot, that's like a whole another thing in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, we weren't actually terrible at 5v5. I think we actually won the expected goals battle at 5v5, which is very surprising. Um, so yeah, there, there's that if you want to say we won a victory by winning the expected goals battle. Yeah. Um, it didn't feel like it, though. Like, even when you were watching the five-on-five ice time, it never looked like the Hawks were in control. It looked like a lot of times they were taking those penalties because they were getting blown by all the time. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have a very slow defensive core. If I remember correctly, all the penalties by the Hawks that night were all stick infractions, so hooking and slashing. And usually when you're doing those penalties, they show that you're already on your heels and trying to get back and try and help your team. It doesn't help when you're doing it, getting sent to the box multiple times for stick infractions. Yeah, but I do think that like if they didn't take those penalties, we probably could have seen more five-on-five goals scored by the app. Oh, yeah. Because they were getting into odd man rushes, and the penalties were stopping those odd man rushes. And as we could tell, when the Colorado Avalanche had a man advantage against us, they knew how to capitalize. Definitely. However, there were two goals that were scored by the Hawks that night. As mentioned before, both of them were on the power play. And the first one was... One of the best, uh, one of the best fakeouts and passes, I've probably seen uh, in a while, especially from Philip Kurishev, because with Kurishev, you always get these flashes, these flashes and these moments of brilliance and true thoughts of like maybe this guy could be a true first line caliber player, but it never seems like it's there enough. It is not because he's so inconsistent. Unfortunately, I think it's because he's never had that opportunity to show in the NHL. And with the fact the Hawks are fully in rebuild mode, maybe Kurashev is going to start showing his potential to be a top six forward to make more plays with confidence. Like what he did on that power play goal to Jonathan Taze. It was a beautiful setup by Kurashev. 
So I think we could be starting to see Khrushchev find that um, spark where he's going to have more of a chance. If there was ever a year for Khrushchev to turn it on, it's now. Because like he's probably not going to be playing too many bottom six minutes this year. He'll be probably playing majority of his minutes in the top six. So if he doesn't show it this year, I feel like there's just not enough there to keep him around in the top six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a very polarizing player. Um, I don't think he's as inconsistent as like a Nylander because he actually shows effort sometimes. Um, but I think that's kind of like what you're looking at. Hopefully he can unlock that potential that he has and perform more consistently. Is anyone as bad as Alex Nylander, though? Buddy Robinson. Okay, that's an exception. They're they're different. Those guys are different. They're different profiles. Victor Edstill. Did you say Victor Edstill? Chicago Blackhawks legend, Victor Edstill. Um, but thinking about you know Kurashev and like where he could project going forward over the first you know beginning, especially in that first uh, preseason game, I know that he scored a goal, but I was just not impressed with Max Domi. And having him as your first-line center, I know it's a first-line center in name only, but I just don't know what there really is there with him. I always thought he was a compelling prospect for years, but I just don't know how much more time he really has playing next to Patrick Kane because there's like nothing that is done with that line results in what it should. I get what you're saying, but it's only been, what, three games? I know, I know they played in the preseason. But that's preseason. No one's going like they're barely going fifty percent, in my opinion. So I think we should give them more time, just a little bit more time. Is there a factor that we got spoiled with DeBrinket and Kane for so many years together, and now that we're seeing Kane have to be the only one on a line that actually is working to try? It kind of can be frustrating to watch. I can see where you're coming from on the Domi front. And the biggest issue for me with like Max Domi and Andreas Athanasiu is those guys, they're fundamentally known for having horrible end products and being unable to take the chances that are created and turn those chances into actual like goals and actually like, you know, produce things that should be coming from what they're doing and you could see that because the hawks are towards like that line has produced like a lot of expected goals but they just can't they just can't finish and patrick kane isn't the goal scorer that he was i would say like six years ago and athens and domi you can't really trust those guys to finish their chances yeah that's why they shouldn't have gotten rid of dylan strom yeah I won't say that I disagree with that. A couple other things that were happening that night. There was that that the goal that they had from uh, Valerie Nichushkin that was scored. Um, that one was a pretty difficult uh, moment there for Connor Murphy, who honestly had a pretty difficult night the entire night. Is that a rough like few weeks? He's gotten hit in the face by a puck. Uh, his back was messed up and that was his first game back from a back injury so murphy's had some bad luck in the last couple weeks here and he has to play with jared tenorti that is true (laughs) yeah he he wasn't he wasn't very good i think he was on ice for three or four of those power play goals 
And I think a few of them were actually his fault, including that Nachushkin goal. Um, so hopefully he can hopefully he can bounce back in this next week or so. Well, hopefully for the whole season, but you know. Yeah. Uh, but another defenseman that we had was a guy making his NHL debut. We talked about him a little bit on the last show. Um, or at least we talked we talked about him a little bit on the first show that we had. Uh Philip Bruce played in his NHL debut, playing on the third pair next to Alec Regula. And well, I'll just let Wally talk about it because uh, apparently he's become his new uh, favorite stand player. Yeah, yeah, he's he was pretty good in that first game, and actually, I think he's been good in all three games. Um, he's leading all uh, defensemen so far with thirty minutes played at five v five unexpected goals, which is good. Um, I don't think he keeps it up, but it's something nice to see through the first three games. Um, I think he's a very good skater, and I, I like that he. He's very good at the stretch pass, and I think that's going to be very important for the Blackhawks moving forward. And I think he had a strong game in his first game. So, you know, it's funny. What if I heard that and I didn't know you were talking about Philip Bruce? I'd think you were talking about Jakob Galvis. <laughs> but like that does seem to be like the mold for both of those guys—guys guys who can hopefully turn into third pairing caliber defensemen do do a lot in transition and are hopefully smart and, and are, you know, and they're guys who are expected to have the intelligence to make smart plays, even if they don't have like ridiculous high end talent on the blue line. Yeah. And the thing with Roos, he's also six, four Galvis is only around five eleven and one 160 pounds. Um, so I, Roos has that advantage when it comes to the size. And I think that'll help him defensively going forward. So, Yeah. Um, we had one more moment towards the end of the game. Uh, Sam Lafferty, who had his uh, uh, moment in the limelight uh, later on in this show. We'll talk about him during that uh, San Jose game. But in this game, uh, the most notable thing about him is that he got in a fight with Josh Manson. Beat up Manson. I loved it. Laffy got into a good scrap there. Who did we trade? Was it Alex Name? It was Alex we traded? <laughs> We face the the penguins, man. Alex unclaimed on waivers, Nylander. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, as we mentioned before, the penalty kill. We we mentioned how the Blackhawks were taking a lot of penalties. I don't know if we really went in and dived into the fact that they allowed four different goals, went two for six on the penalty kill. Really rough night there. Yeah, it's a bad night to if you let in even two shorthanded goals against, so two power play goals, I meant to say. But giving up um, four, that's a disaster. Um, And I think our first penalty kill was really, really good. I think we, like, we just kept on, like, rifling it down the ice every time we got it. The Hawks had more shots on that on that, on the Avalanche first power play than the Avalanche did. But otherwise, the Hawks on the PK in game one, it was a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Um, and in the end, that final score was 5-2. to two. Only one goal either side was scored at even strength, as I mentioned before. And we move on. And I don't think anyone expected anything differently. We gave our score predictions before that game. 
none of us got it exactly right, but I believe there was a 6-1 in there, a 5-1 in there. I think I said 3-1, and then someone said 4-2. So we were all really close. We all predicted the Hawks to lose, and we all predicted them to lose by like two to three goals, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Or even more. I mean, I think Wally said 6-1. Yeah, I think I think I did, yeah. Yeah. We had the next game, which was the night after, Thursday night, in Vegas for the Hawks against the Golden Knights. And first thing I want to mention is that this is the first night where we had our local broadcast. And the new broadcast this year, we have Chris Vosters, who's doing the play-by-play. We saw him a lot last year. It seems like he's really improving and growing more into the role as of the last, like, you know, last two months of last year. And it seems like he's doing a lot better of a job this year. And then the color commentary, Patrick Sharp, who is back and is now taking care of that. And that is just really fun to see. I'm just really happy to see Sharpie back. It was good to see Sharpie back, but it's going to take a long time to get used to hearing two new, basically three new guys in the booth for the Hawks because don't forget Troy Murray will be alternating out with uh, Patrick Sharp every now and then. It's going to take some time getting used to I'm going to always miss Pat and Ed, though, together, but that's who I really grew up with for Hawks hockey. So, Chris Vosters and Patrick Sharp, it seemed like they had some okay chemistry, but it's going to take them some time to get used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you mentioned with the studio thing, they have um, uh, Colby Cohen doing the between, the between the Benches thing, which, let's be fair, that is the perfect role for him. Yep. Yeah. Yes, I agree. That's the perfect thing for him. He doesn't. I wouldn't say that he has the on. I don't think he thinks quickly enough on his feet to be the primary color commentary. But he does say the right things. So being that like third guy between the benches, who he can throw in something whenever he needs to, perfect for him. And I think he's done a good job with that so far. Yeah, I would agree. And I think they've done a good job with their studio as well. With um, well, Pat Boyle, um, they have didn't didn't they welcome uh, Scott Darling this year? And then they also have Kaylee Chelios, I believe. So the studio team is good. I like the now, studio Kaylee Chelios, who I believe will also probably be doing color commentary on the radio as well. Most a lot of the time. Yeah, she's supposed to fill in for Troy Murray on the radio with John Weideman when Murray's on the TV side. Yeah. And um, I remember, well, uh, so this last year, the um, Hawks played that game against the Coyotes where it was only on ESPN Plus. And yeah. that game, uh, the commentary was horrible. I remember it was, I think it was Leah Hextall. It was Leah Hextall and Dominic Moore. And the, the, the commentary, they just, they, Dominic Moore was terrible. Um, the broadcast production value was garbage. And I remember during the second period of that game, I ended up switching over so that I muted the TV and just had the radio broadcast in my ear instead. And I remember that night it was uh, it was John Wideman and Kaylee Chelios, and it was so much better than listening to whatever the hell Dominic Moore was talking about. Whenever the games are on ESPN, I'm always muting the TV because whoever they have doing their play-by-plays, they tend to suck. Uh, I don't know who it is who called the first game... Uh, on ESPN last year for the Hawks and Islanders, he called the puck a ball. 
And that was it. I muted the TV from there and listened to John Wideman calling our game. I do not remember who that was. <laughs> but that sounds like the most that sounds like the most classic ESPN thing of all time. The only thing that the broadcast has done bad this season so far is that they were behind last game. The audio was not in sync with it the was. video. Yeah, that it was, was very bad. distracting. It was very the, distracting. The audio, the audio was messed. I actually I thought the audio was slightly ahead. It was. Yeah, the, audio, the audio. The audio was. Well, the audio was ahead of the video. It was yes, weird. You're right. Yeah, my bad. I was hearing. I was hearing Voster say he scores before I saw the play happen. Yes, right, right, right. All right, he right. was tweeting that all game. I noticed last night. <laughs> yeah, it was it a little was, annoying. It was. It was kind of frustrating. And hopefully, I do fix that going forward. Because I don't remember if I. I don't think I saw it that much in the first game, though. No, there wasn't. No, it was not. It was not a problem the first game. Maybe it wasn't as apparent because there was like there were less goals, so there weren't moments where you where it was very clear that it was messed up. No, you could actually see it through the broadcast when they did go to uh, Chris Foster's and Patrick Sharp in the um, intermission show. You could see their voices were not matching up with their mouths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll probably see uh, next time because next game the Hawks have is Friday night uh, at home. It's a home game against Detroit. And we'll see because I'm assuming that that's a local broadcast as well. We will see if they have that situated going forward because that was a little bit distracting. But moving on to the game itself, uh, we had a fantastic goalie duel between a very unexpected cast of fantastic goalies. You had Alex Baylock who was playing in only his second NHL game since, well, I think before COVID. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been like two years since he's played in more than one NHL game because he had that whole situation last year where he ended up getting myocarditis. So he was sick for a while, played a little bit in the AHL once he recovered and only had one NHL game. Ended up signing with the Hawks this year to be their backup. and. I was, I mean, I was really impressed. Stalock had a couple of shaky performances in the preseason, but in this game, he really showed up. And for Vegas, their goalie was uh, their brand new starter, I guess, Logan Thompson, who I happen to be a very strong believer in. But still, I did not expect this. No, no, you. I don't think expecting what, what was it? Got a shutout and then stay like allowed one goal. I mean, that's you. You wouldn't expect that. And the goal he allowed wasn't even that bad. No, it was like a two. Yeah, on it was one. just a really good shot. It was a two on one. It was just a really good shot. Yeah, it was. Um, they were they put the Hawks put themselves in a difficult position. Uh, they ended up in a two on one situation, and um, it was not a very easy play for Stalock to make. But besides that, he had a ton of fantastic saves that he made. That were mostly coming from very difficult positions. I mean, there was that one save where he frankly put himself ridiculously out of position. He was like 20 feet out of his net. And then he scrambles back to barely deflect the puck up and over the glass. He was 36 for 37. Like, that's not terrible at all. That's actually really good. It's fantastic. Fantastic first game for him. I'd be happy for Staylock in a performance like that. Did not expect that type of performance from the cheater. Okay, what's that about? Yeah, I'm confused. 
Yeah. Okay, so um, in 20... I think it was 18, 2019, uh, Alex Daylock put himself in a terrible position, as usual. And so um, he knew that he was in a terrible position, so he took his glove and he knocked his own uh, helmet off. They, the Islanders scored a goal, and then um, he went complaining to the ref, saying, "Hey, my mask fell he off. His own mask this is, off. My this God. is should not. This should not be a goal." And then the the announcers saw the replay, and they they like tore him apart. I completely forgot that, but oh my god! He like started saying like he's like the disgrace to hockey. He should be kicked out of the NHL. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Oh, it was funny. Oh my god, I uh, I do remember that now. That was really dumb of him. <laughs> but regardless of that, like Alex Stalock was great all night, but it is unfortunate that that was in vain and ended in a loss because, I mean, the Hawks' offense was okay, I guess, but I don't I don't think that it was okay. Maybe I think they deserved a goal with how they played, but I wouldn't say that they performed all that well. No shot counts don't mean everything, but we did only have 27 shots, so take that for what you will. There was a lot of one and done. It did seem like that. I don't remember a lot of high danger chances. We had six at 5v5. They had 12. It's not a recipe for success, to say the least. But the one positive from the night, the penalty kill was much better. I believe they went three for three. Uh, yeah, the the PK looked like they stepped up in how Richardson wants it structured, so that was good to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the evolution that uh, was seen over these first three games from the penalty kill uh, is a very uh, interesting uh, phenomenon that occurred. Because in the first game, penalty kill was awful. They gave up a ton of goals. They gave up four goals. Second game, penalty kill was much better. They didn't allow a goal. That's what you want. You want your penalty kill to not allow goals. Obviously, it's going to happen, but you want them to, more often than not, be able to stop them from scoring on the power play. The third game was a completely different beast. Oh, the third game was awesome. We move on to that right now. Because the third game, Saturday night in San Jose, third game in this mini West Coast road trip, and there were a couple of notes before the first game. First one was that the Sharks were having an honorary night for former captain, former GM, and most notably of all that, former Blackhawk, Doug Wilson, the Hall of Famer. And both teams wore Doug Wilson jerseys for warm-ups uh, yesterday as well. Yeah, they had um, the Doug Wilson jerseys, which were really cool. And they had this whole speech before the game, which was really nice to see because Doug Wilson, you know, these are his two franchises, one he played for. Well, he played for both, and then he was a GM for one for, like, over 15 years. He's also going through, like, major Yeah, that is the other thing, which was the main reason why he had to step down from the GM position. Yeah. But it was great for him to be there. It was great to see him. And it was great for them to schedule it so that the two teams that were his two NHL teams were able to be there for that night. And that was how we were able to see it. Like they scheduled it that way so that the night they were honoring him and they had this uh, banner that they put in the rafters for him, which was like a really unique one because it had like 
his time they had like his time playing and then also separately his time as a GM. It was a really cool banner they had. And it was cool they had that for him against his other NHL team. The more the team that he's more known for, for playing for. Yeah. Because I don't think they wanted to do it for the Sharks' home opener just because that was uh, welcoming back uh, Brent Burns to the Shark Tank. I, I will say the only negative I had from the ceremony was that it was a late game and yeah we had <laughs> against we had that against Colorado too where it was just super late and I don't think the games ended until what like midnight those, those were the only yeah the game went until midnight but the start time for where it was located was still seven o'clock so that's why yeah that's the thing I don't think that they were thinking like oh think about the Chicago fans no, I, I don't think so. Will someone think of the children? <laughs> and then, obviously, after the second ceremony the Hawks had to be a spectator of in three games, we then started the game, and the Hawks came out firing. They had a really good start to that period. Yeah, the Hawks got the start for the first ten minutes of play 6-1. to one. I mean, yeah, we were just completely dominating. There's no other way to say it. But then, um, eventually, the deadlock was broken, and it didn't come from the Hawks, despite their fantastic start. The deadlock came from, well, simply put, Eric Carlson turning back the clock. Yes. Eric Carlson looked like Ottawa Senator Eric Carlson before he had his knee problems. Yeah, he had a great game. Philip Kershaw kind of got lost on that play as well and didn't really cover his man. Um, he kind of got faked out by Eric Carlson. Yeah, and it was a difficult play for him. But you know, you're working against uh, a premier defense, a premier defenseman in the league, and that's not the easiest thing to do. Yeah, it, it was an interesting way that set up. First goal was set up, and then the second goal was just all Eric Carlson. <laughs> yeah, again, and by the end of the first period, they had a two goal lead, and even though most of us. Uh, thought that they were going to win that game via the prediction. I think that everyone except for me had them winning that game. It didn't look like a fantastic prediction uh, beforehand. It didn't. Look, it didn't look like that result was going to go the way that we thought uh, by that point. Yeah, it didn't. Uh, but after four minutes into the second period, all things turned in favor for the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, and it came from an unexpected player, unexpected reason. Everything about it just was surprising, to say the least. Because the first thing was Jonathan Tay's great goal gets the team back in it, and he has his second goal of the season already. And it was also, worth noting, the first even-strength goal the Hawks have scored that year. Yeah, it, the goal was a highlight real goal to remember for the captain. Taser getting the puck and going in on a breakaway, making it look like a shootout of a classic Jonathan Tay shootout type goal, going backhand, forehand, backhand, five hole, and in. It was a beautiful setup for Jonathan Tay to get the puck's momentum back and ready to go for the rest of this game. It woke the team up, especially in a couple moments after this Jonathan Tay's goal. 
Yeah, and what is a Jonathan Tay's breakaway or shootout if it doesn't involve him ending the shot by going five-hole? Five-hole with a backhand shot. It was a beauty. And then Hawks take a penalty, and then everything gets good somehow? Because of Sam Lafferty and Jason Dickinson. Sam Lafferty and Jason Dickinson. We won the trade. We already won the trade, yes, Wally. It was a great setup. It went two-on-one break. Dickinson feeds it over to Laffy. Laffy ends up beating Kakinen. The Hawks get on the board by a beautiful setup by tying this thing up. First career goal shorthanded, and then he adds to that a few moments later. The same person fed him the puck, too. So that's yeah, yeah, it was the same guy again. Was he on his? Was he on his stomach too? That goal, or was that the first that was goal? The second one, but yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, and I don't think it was specifically said before, but because of some immigration issues, uh, trying to get over from uh, going from Canada to the U.S. after the trade. Jason Dickinson wasn't able to actually play in the Hawks' first two games. So this was his Hawks' debut, and he shows up and has two shorthanded assists. Two shorthanded primary assists. And a goal. Yes, and a goal. We'll get to the goal. We'll get to the goal. After that, it just felt like the entirety of the momentum. It was already like the Hawks were already playing better, but after that, it just felt like the Sharks kind of just fell apart and just were done like there was nothing more to them at all it seems like instant chemistry though from dickinson and lafferty which is actually something to keep an eye out for the rest of the time they're together on line yeah and as we uh as we said with that instant chemistry um the other way it went the other way sam lafferty had the secondary assist on Dickinson's first Hawks goal, which was the fifth goal that was scored. But before that, we end the second period with the score being 3-2 for the Hawks, get into the third period, and Taylor Radish scores his first goal of the season. Oh, and it was a beauty. Another breakaway goal for the Hawks, for and this one from Taylor Radish. But we need to keep a, a note on this. It was all set up by Tyler Johnson making a sliding block in the defensive zone that laid his body out to make his block and it gets to Radish stick and he went off for the races. It was an awesome setup, breakaway goal. That play started with an offensive zone face-off or offensive zone face-off for San Jose. They get it back to their point man and then as you said that sliding block by Tyre Johnson which creates the breakaway. I think it's worth mentioning we've talked about four goals so far and in all of them they involve some level of an odd man rush. We had a mini breakaway from Taze. So obviously that's one on O against the goalie. You had two on ones for both shorthanded goals from Lafferty. And then the third, the fourth goal, Taylor Radish, that ended up being a breakaway. And I think what you'll see there is just that there is a significant fragility in the Sharks defense. And we were able to exploit that a lot. The Hawks were able to exploit something the um, broadcast of Chris Foster's and Patrick Sharp doesn't realize and saying the Sharks are wanting to contend for a playoff spot this year. And it's clearly not that case. But uh, the Hawks clearly exposed the speed and lack of the San Jose Sharks 
having. It's good to see that Taylor Radish also has started off the season like he ended last season with with us scoring, and that was scoring goals because last year he scored like a good like five goals in his first like few games with us. So that's good to see him still producing like that. And you mentioned something about you know the broadcast maybe getting a detail wrong. I want to just bring something up to all of you. Okay, when you when you think of a power play and you're thinking of the term like the bumper position, which guy is that to you? The um, third man in the diamond where it's kind of slotted between the two wings and then the um, be up front of the um, point. Okay, so the guy, is it you, you would say the guy in the slot or the guy who's playing in front of the net? The guy in the slot. Okay, because Chris Vosters is calling the guy in, the, in front of the net the bumper. <laughs> yeah, that's not the bumper position. That's, that is a hundred percent happening. They're Max Dome. I, I know it was happening. He called Max Domi the bumper when he was playing in front of the net. I'm like, what is going on? Did anyone else notice that? Yeah, I've noticed it. No. <laughs> Watch out for that because we might need we, we might need to like we might need to like tweet at Chris Vosters and like, hey, that's not what a bumper is. If he does it next game, I will make sure to uh, tweet it. But um, beyond that, uh, a couple other notes. Um, the goalie this night was Peter Morazic. Uh, he had a fine night. Uh, there wasn't anything crazy, but he did have a save percentage over 900, only allowed two goals on like almost 30 shots, I believe. 26. Yeah, and his two appearances so far, he's looked solid, if you think about it. The game against the Avalanche, you really can't fault him. It's the Avalanche versus the um, EA bunch of rookies out there. Um, basically. Rookie mode shell. Yes. With 36 overalls. The 36 overalls versus all the 99s. Um, but, yeah, Marazic looked good in his two first starts as a Blackhawks netminder, and his second start against the Sharks was really, in my opinion, a very impressive outing for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, there was... Um, not everyone had the best of games. We already mentioned some of the players who played pretty well, guys like Jason Dickinson and um, and Sam Lafferty. There's a couple others who didn't have the best of games. Oh, yeah, Caleb Jones, I didn't think, was great. I actually think it was one of his turnovers at the blue line. Um, we were up, what, 6-1, to 6 nothing in terms of shots at the beginning of the game and had all the momentum, and then he turned it over at our offensive blue line. Um and from there, San Jose kind of had some momentum until, of course, we scored uh, the two shorthanded goals. So, Yeah, uh, the thing with Caleb Jones, um, obviously, he didn't play in the first game of the season. He was still recovering from an injury. But after that, he did come back, and he was back for the second and the third games of the preseason. Alec Arula, who didn't really have the best of the first games, ended up leaving the lineup. And they brought Caleb Jones in. And, I mean, I've never been particularly impressed with Caleb Jones since he got to the Hawks. And I wonder how much more time really is left in him actually being here. I think he has to show it this year. Otherwise, I think he's he's probably gone if, if he doesn't show it this year. So Yeah, and we all know uh, Kyle Davidson does not care for your feelings. And... We know we saw that when he traded Hagel and he traded to Brinkett and he let go of Strom and he let go of Kublik. 
Kyle Davidson does not care for your feelings, and he does not care for your brotherly reunions either. And I think that if Caleb Jones isn't performing, even if Seth is here for the next seven years, he would be willing to let Caleb Jones go if he's not good enough. And he should. If that's the case, he should. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because there's so many Hawks defensive prospects ready to make it into the NHL, and Caleb Jones is one of those players that could be expendable pretty soon here. Yeah, we saw it just happen with Riley Stillman. If a player is expendable, he's willing to expend them. Yes. But um, beyond that, a couple more overall notes across the entire thing. Over the course of the first three games of the season, uh, Max Domi has one goal, Patrick Kane has one assist, and Andreas Athanasiu has one assist as well. It's not been great from that top line. And I wonder how many more games do they have together until they start to find try and find solutions elsewhere. What do you guys think? How many how how much longer does that current roster construction of that top line actually have until they break it up and say we need something different? Uh not much longer because they tested it through the preseason, it never worked. And they're doing it again in the regular season, it's not working still. This is where we have a prospect in Rockford who should probably be in the NHL, but they won't do it because they don't want to stunt his development. And Lucas Reichel, if he's up, Kane and Reichel are going to be on the line together, I will say. And Domi is on the third line center position. And Kershev might move up at this point. Mm-hmm, Yeah. So I think that my my personal favorite for who who could take that uh, top line center role, with the exception of like, because I don't know if you necessarily want to split that second line right now, because I think that that line has played pretty well together, especially Tyler Johnson. I think that he's performed a lot better than his start last year. His, he's, cause he started last year very poorly. This year, playing on the wing, he's looked much better. It's been our best line, the Tyler Johnson, Jonathan Taze, and Taylor Radish line. It's been our best line so far in the first three games of the season. And they've been moving the puck well, getting the momentum on the Hawks' side of the puck, which is not going to happen all that much this season. And when they are in the offensive zone, they're getting the cycles going. And it's honestly been working out in the Hawks' favor are the goals coming from it? Not so much. It, there's only three goals from that line together, and Taze on a power play goal, uh, Taze on a breakaway goal, and Radish on a breakaway goal, but they all have points on those lines. It works. Keep it together. Just fix the Kings line so he has some players that can actually work well with him. Yeah, I feel like that's a similar thing. And as I was saying before, if you're not going to break up that line, then the likely best option or the likely best experiment until Lucas Reichel's ready to show up will probably be Philip Kurashev as that top line center, potentially. Give him a shot at it. He could run away with it. Kane and Kurashev have played with each other on the same line before. And when they were together, it did work. Kershaw centered Debrinket and Kane a couple times last year, and it was working. Maybe put Kershaw back on the line with Kane and maybe leave at the CU up there, and then 
drop Domi down to the third line center position, it might work and kind of balance the lines a little bit better. I feel like at the very least you have to at least try it for a game. Actually, well, more than a game. I'd say like give them like five games or something, see if it works. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. But I feel feel like it has the potential to be something pretty good. So It's something to note and keep an eye on. Let's hope Luke Richardson is not like Jeremy Colleton, where if it doesn't work for like the first two games, he'll mix it up. And like that was always my problem with Jeremy. Changed up lines too quickly. What it didn't work. Yeah, I, I think so. But sometimes there are points where you can just see, like, no, 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 you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, you're like, 100%. This just doesn't make sense. This just can't be happening. I'm just saying, like, if, when they do change it, I hope it's not changed again yeah. right away. Um, I think one thing that I'm, I know you're talking about is obviously the moment of last year where they went into the preseason with a top six and then they never went back to that top six they tried in the preseason, and they tried like everything else except going with what they initially thought could have worked. Because it didn't work in the preseason. It was really dumb. I will never forgive Jeremy Carlton for killing the Kublik Taze Hagel line. That was so stupid. I will never forgive him for that. The fact that we never saw that was honestly criminal. And not putting McCabe with Seth Jones. Don't get me started. Sorry, Abby Canucks, you have to deal with them. Thank you, Canucks, for Dickinson still. Thank you, Canucks, for Dickinson. And the second-round pick. And the second-round pick. And the second-round pick. All right. We're going to take a quick little break, and when we get back, we are going to go over a little bit of a prospect roundup, as well as recapping the most recent Ice Hogs games that happened on Saturday and Sunday night. And we're also going to talk about the week ahead for the Hawks, and give a little bit of a recap of our predictions from last show, and look forward and give some predictions for what we think is going to happen over the next week of games. See y'all in a bit. All right, we are back, and this is the start of a brand new segment we're going to do probably every week, and it's going to be led by our very own Wally, who you all can find on Twitter at Chicago Prospects at CHI underscore prospects as he follows all the Blackhawks prospects and gives us tons of tweets that we can follow them as well. And this is going to be our prospect report that we can go through. And while I'm going to hand it over to you so you can talk about what's been going on with the Hawks prospects over the last week. Yeah, so starting off with uh, the Czech Republic, uh, we have Michael Crudel. Uh, he returned to injury this week, returned from injury this week, um, and he started on the first pair for Sparta Prague, um, which was good to see, um, especially after he struggled with Rockford uh, for a few years. Um, and it's worth noting that he was a draft pick in uh, 2020. So Yeah, still an unsigned prospect, has two more years to prove that he's worthy of an NHL contract. Um, hopefully he can get there and... Hopefully, like, he has a really good year this year. Hopefully he gets that contract. Maybe he's ready to play in Rockford next year. And then uh, moving on to the KHL, uh, they have three prospects there. Uh, the first one that I want to touch on is Ilya Safanov. Um, he's also known for uh, accidentally um, hurting Kirby Doc in the World Junior game a few years ago. Um, he's having a pretty good season for 
um, his age group. I think he's under, I think he's 22, 21. Um, he has seven points, five of which are goals in 16 games. Um, and for, I believe he was a six round pick. I would say that's pretty good. So yeah, when he was drafted, he was a draft plus two player. So this is the fourth year, I believe since he was first draft eligible. So he's like 21, 22 right now. And then, uh, the next one is Parker Fu. Um, he plays for, uh, the Red Star, which is the Chinese team in the KHL, Um, he's second in under 25, uh, KHL scoring with 13 points. He has five goals, um, in 20 games and he's kind of a forgotten prospect, but someone that you probably should keep an eye on because he is producing pretty well this year. And then, uh, next is Artur Kayumov. Um, he has five points in his last five games, um, which is nice to see after he had a slow start, um, with just four points in his first 12 games. Um, and I'm looking at the Finnish league, uh, Antti Sorella. Um, he has five points in 11 games. Um, and he left uh, last Friday's game against Pelicans early, and he only played a minute and 34 seconds. Uh, something to keep an eye on. Yeah, so it looks like it might be an injury there with him. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm guessing that's probably what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he played for Ilves last year. I can't remember. What team is he with again this year? Uh, he's with... Um, Luco. Okay, yes. Um, and then also we have Riku Tohila, the 6'8 forward. Um, he's played in 14 games this season for a JYP uh, under-20 team. He has 11 points, seven of which are goals, um, and 33 penalty minutes, so... Yeah, he's an yeah, I think, in- I think, interesting uh, player. I think that uh, that game, uh, there was like, he had like at least 15 of those penalty minutes in one game, which probably was like a 5-10 in a game situation, because I remember we were talking before, and it was like, I said, have you seen Rico Tohoyo's penalty minutes? And you were like, he didn't have those yesterday. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of those were in just one game, so I wouldn't worry too much about his discipline. I think that was kind of like a one-off type of thing so um and then moving on to the ncaa um i think it's important that we first touch on some injuries um frank nazar is reportedly out for months according to scott powers um, of the athletic uh the injury is currently undisclosed but i'm sure we'll learn more hopefully soon so hopefully he um comes back soon and obviously that's frustrating because that's a guy who most people view as like either our best or second best prospect. And, you know, we've seen this injury road before players at that age getting hurt. It can sometimes be a one-off. It can sometimes mean something a lot worse. The hope is that Nazar will be able to come back and, you know, be able to play well for Michigan this year because, you know, you don't want to see that from your top guys. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, and then another guy, Aiden Thompson, he was a third-round pick this past year, and he's still recovering from his knee injury that he suffered at Team USA's World Junior Camp in, I believe, August. Um, it was supposed to be a shorter recovery time, um, so hopefully he's back soon. But to be honest, I don't really know when he's going to be back. Sounds like he had a setback in his recovery time. Yeah, that, that's what it seems like. That was like a few months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, World it was early August. And it was only yeah. supposed to be for like maybe a month, a month and a half. 
Yeah, that he definitely suffered a setback then. And then some guys that I personally have highlighted as a hot start so far. Um, Ryder Rolston of Notre Dame. We acquired him in uh, the what was it Carl Soderberg trade? Yes, Carl Soderberg. And so far, he has six points, three of which are goals, and he has twenty shots on goal in just four games. Um. And then there's also Connor Kelly. He was, I believe, a 2020 or a 2021 seventh-round pick. Um, he has three assists in three games for Providence. Um, and then there's Ryan Green. He is he was a 2022 second-round pick. Um, he has four points, two of which are goals in three games uh, for Boston University. And then Dominic Basse, uh, he has a 971 save percentage and two wins in two games so far for St. Cloud State. Yeah, and Dominic Bossy is actually a really interesting one because he was playing at Colorado College the last couple of years. It wasn't really all that good for him. He was usually save percentages under 900. He's gone to a better program in St. Cloud State, and he seems to have become – it seems to be much better, much better performances there. So – Maybe something to look out there. Maybe there is something there with Dominic Bossy. I've always kind of wrote him off. Maybe there really is something there. Yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on because he was not he was on a pretty bad uh Colorado college team, so um and for cold starts I have uh Drew Camesso. He has a eight fourteen safe percentage of five point six five goals against average and Apparently, he is day-to-day with an undisclosed injury after, I believe, he allowed six goals to Michigan on Saturday. On It, it was something like maybe, was it 18 shots or something like that? It, it wasn't a lot of shots. Um, it doesn't, and then, doesn't look good. No. And then there's also Tyler's favorite prospect, Tage Harding, um, who had a game misconduct in his first game for Providence this year. So, Don't put that on me. <laughs> And then just some other prospects of note in the NCAA. Uh, there's Jake Wise, who has four points in six games. Dominic James, who has two points in four games. Landon Slaggart, who has two points in four games. And Wyatt Kaiser, who has a point in four games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, those are just fine right there. Um, Jake Wise, that is one that I want to highlight for this segment because, um, you know, he had, has had some difficult injury problems over his career. Uh, and I think he's in his fifth year in college right now. It was a third-round pick a while ago. Hasn't really been able to, you know, sustain consistency, mostly because of the injuries. But he went to Ohio State last year, performed really well. Now he's there for second and final year in college. And like a lot of the other prospects that we will mention later, he is the captain of Ohio State. Yeah, it- it's it's good to see that he's the captain of the team, and honestly, I'm not surprised. He seems like he's a good leader, um, and it's unfortunate that he suffered all those injuries because at one point, I believe he was projected to be a top 10 pick at one point, and this was a few years before his draft year, but he was, he was thought of as a really high-end prospect at that time. So hopefully he can get um, back on track and hopefully finishes this year strong and maybe earns a contract though I think that's probably unlikely. So, mm-hmm. And then uh, moving on to the OHL, um, 
The first one, uh, Ethan Dalmastro, he has seven points in five games, um, a goal and six assists, and he's been the number one defenseman for Mississauga this year, and he's also the captain of the team, so that's that's good to see. Yeah, from what I've seen with Dalmastro, it's been a great start for him. Since he is a defenseman putting up a goal and six assists in five games, that's really good to see, especially if you're the leader on your team. That's something you want to see getting continued to de- develop over time because maybe future on and Chicago, if he comes up ever, could work out for the Hawks and their next great Hawks core. Yeah, and the thing with Del Mastro is that, you know, putting up points really isn't exactly his game. So seeing him do that at the OHL level is good to see. Definitely. And then uh, there's Gavin Hayes. He has six points in seven games for uh, the the Flint Firebirds, um, which is good to see because I believe he had like something like 40 points in 60 games last year. Um, so to see him at almost a point per game is nice uh, to see. And then uh, we have Paul Ludwinski, who has three points in two games. Um, and this is great to see after he returned from an injury that he suffered, I believe, against Minnesota in one of those uh, prospect games. Yeah, he suffered the injury in the second prospect game between the Wild and the Hawks. Yeah. Did he have the game winner, too, recently? He, I believe he did, because I think um, whoever they were playing – scored two goals after, so he did have the game winner, which was the third goal. So, uh, Isn't he like a Hagel type? Like, he plays a lot like Hagel? Yeah, he, he's he's fast. Um, he's very, I would say, tenacious on the puck. Um, he he kind of compares to Hagel a little bit. I don't know if there's as much offensive upside, but his play style is similar to Hagel. Okay, so that's good. Yeah, um, and then another quick note on Paul Lewinsky. Um so, and this obviously touches on to a different NHL team, and one of the teams we're going to play later this week, but Shane Wright has been a healthy scratch for the Kraken over the last couple of weeks. They've played three games, and he has a total of six minutes in them, and he's been a healthy scratch twice. I think it's very possible we will be seeing Shane Wright heading back to the Frontenacs soon, and if that's the case, that'll be great for Paul Ludwinski. It'll be interesting to see because Ludwinski's been the one C for Kingston so far, so it'll be interesting to see if uh, they move him to the wing or if they move him down to two C. Ludwinski, that is, I'm sure Shane Wright will be the one C, no matter what, if he gets sent down. So, moving on to the QMJHL, um, the only prospect that they have in the queue this year is Samuel Savoie. Um, he has three points in six games, um, and he also has 16 penalty minutes. Um, I would say that the three points that he has don't really reflect how good he's been for, uh, I believe, Gadineau he plays for this year. Um, It doesn't really reflect how good he's been. The 16 penalty minutes must be something to keep an eye on because we know he has that little edge to his game and already with 16 penalty minutes and the six games of play, that's something to keep an eye on to see if it continues to grow grow like that. Yeah, but obviously you can't only be aggressive. Uh you can't only have you can't only have that. And last year Savoie was only at like half a point a game in the queue. And in a league like that, you would want there to be more in terms of offense from him. So the hope is that he can really get more there 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has primarily been playing on the second line. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Maybe he'll get more power. I think he plays power play and um, the PK for them. Um, it'll just be interesting to see if he gets put with more talented offensive players. So I think he's playing with, I don't know how to say his name, uh, Hakon Hanalt or something like that. Yeah, he's playing with him. I don't know who his winner is, but um, not playing with the most talented players right now. And then uh, next we have the WHL, which probably has some of the most important prospects in the Blackhawks system. Um, starting with Kevin Korchinski. Um, he has eight points in five games, and he's he's looked pretty good, I would say, um, which is what you would hope for with uh, the seventh overall pick. He's better than Dubrinket. Yeah, his only goal so far was the game winner in overtime. Yeah, I believe that was either his first or second game back, which is, which is great to see. Yeah, Korchinski's already off to a great start to his... Um, season in the W this year. Yeah, and obviously it's comparable to, um, it's a similar comparable to like, you know, when you use a batting weight and then you go and take a swing without it and it's like so much easier. Going from playing preseason in the NHL to then playing against the WHL is obviously like, and that's why you see he's got eight points in five games because he's back and he's there to dominate. Yeah. And then uh, Colton Doc was recently returned to Kelowna where he was named captain. Um, he has three points in three games, um, but this last game, some bad news. Uh, he took a high hit to the head, um, and he did not return. There hasn't really been much of an update, except he's continuing to be evaluated. But after just suffering a concussion, getting another high hit to the head is not good. Was that player uh, like penalized that hit him? I believe so. I, I wasn't watching the game. I just, I just saw after that. Um, yeah, he, he was hurt, and he did not return to the game. And it was a hit to the head. It's really frustrating to hear. What was that other concussion? He got hurt in the prospect game. That was when his first concussion. Okay, okay, okay. It was like almost exactly a month ago, pretty much. I think it was September 17th. So maybe just under a month. That's really frustrating to hear. Yeah, it's, it's not good to see. And then uh, the next prospect is Nolan Allen. Um, he was also named captain of Prince Albert. Um, he has three points in five games. He, he's been fine. Um, yeah. Nolan Allen doesn't scream notable in any sense of the word. He's just kind of there, and he might become an NHL player, but very low ceiling. <laughs> it could be one of those type of prospects that get moved out pretty soon because this is Allen is also a Stan Bowman draft pick. Uh-huh. I will say on that, um, he does kind of check some of the boxes that Kyle Davidson wants, though. He's a good skater, and he competes pretty hard. Obviously, the offensive ceiling isn't really there, but he does check a few boxes. Yeah. Uh, the next league, uh, moving on, is the SHL, where, again, we only have one prospect, and it's Victor Hrunbor. I believe I said that correctly. Um <laughs> uh, he has uh, one point in 10 games. Um, he's been mostly playing third line. Um, and I, I think he's been pretty good. It's just that the points haven't really been there for him yet. But he, he's a good defensive player. And I think eventually he'll make the jump um, to North America and probably plays in a few NHL games eventually. Yeah, he's um, he's he doesn't have the highest 
of you know, he doesn't have the highest of ceilings, obviously, but he does seem to have he seems to be a guy who fits the mold to be a really quality depth player if he can, you know, develop his game a little bit more because that does seem like the path that he's going down. Yeah, I think I think he'll be if he makes it to the NHL, I think he'll be a quality bottom sixer and maybe that's that's probably all he'll be, but that's still pretty good for what was he, a fourth round pick? Yeah. And I, I would say his NHL certainty is pretty pretty high as well. Isn't he kind of similar style play as like a Marcus Kruger a little bit? I would say so. I wouldn't say as good defensively, but he's he's his motor is very good and he's a very good skater as well. And then the final league that um, I'll be touching on is the USHL, where we have two prospects, both taken in this last draft class. Um, the first one is the first round pick, Sam Renzel. Uh, he has three assists in six games for Waterloo, I believe. Um, Who are also the Blackhawks. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he, it seems like he's been pretty good so far, but the team has kind of disappointed. Um, and then the next one is uh, Nils Youngtorp. Uh, he has two points in five games. He's mostly been in the top six um, for Dubuque. Um I think he's one of the guys that I actually like. I think his shot's pretty good, and I think he could be an underrated prospect for us. Interesting, but you would want there to be more points production from a guy of his age in a league like that. Yeah, yeah, you would. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, thank you, Wally, for that uh, prospect roundup. Um, we will uh, do. We will try and do that every week. Uh, this week was more of a overall thorough recap involving everyone. Uh, moving forward, we're going to be sticking mostly to just notable things. Obviously, uh, you know anyone returning from injury, anyone who had a fantastic game, fantastic week, really terrible week. Even if we have to discuss that, but um, that is the plan going forward. We do want to discuss the prospects a lot on here. And luckily we have someone who spends a ton of time talking about the prospects. So we want to take advantage of that and make this more than just an NHL uh an NHL uh centric uh show. So thank you Wally for helping us out with that. Moving on now to the next thing we're going to discuss, the Ice Hogs had a couple of games this weekend. They played Saturday night and Sunday night. John, how did the game go on Saturday? So the 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 game on Saturday started off really poorly. Uh, it was three nothing by the end of the second. Ew. I think I think only one of the goals was Soderboom's fault that I can remember. But regardless, three nothing. And then with like a minute and twenty four to in the uh, to start in the third, Luke Phillips scores a goal. It was a really good goal, actually. Um, and then a couple minutes after that, David Gust scores his first goal of the year, uh, assisted by Luke, Lucas Reichel. And then uh, David Gust actually did assist also on the first goal, which is nice to see. And then Lucas Reichel gets a goal of his own. So now we've tied it up. And then a... Uh, Heartbreaking goal scored by the Moose to make it four to three. Then Luke Philip gets his second goal of the game with a seventeen fifty six, uh, like in the in the in the third. And then Brett Sini 
uh, scores the OT winner. Overall, Soderboom, like, didn't have, like, his greatest game, but even his greatest wasn't or was still really good. He ended up saving 40, what is that, 40, uh, no, 39 shots, I think, if my math's correct. It was it was 38 out of uh, 42. 38. So, yeah, 38 out of 42, which is still good, but uh, he did allow four goals, so that's not good. And then... And then uh, the Rockford Icehawks actually did get a, quite a few shots on goal, which is uncharacteristic. I feel like we got 40 shots on goal. Um, we didn't take that many penalties, which is good because we have a bit of a penalty issue. But uh, So that was good. We didn't take that many penalties. Yeah, worth mentioning from this game as well, an interesting thing. Uh, Luke Philp, first game with the Icehawks, and he picks up a Gordie Howe hat trick with two goals because he ended up getting in a fight with uh, Lucas's cousin, Christian Reichel. Yeah, it was a good fight, too, actually. Christian Reichel got sent to the locker room after the fight due to the fact he might have needed some stitches from Luke Phillips beating the crap out of him. <laughs> um, so then we played a game on Sunday, or, or today. We played a game on Sunday today, and um, it did not go very well. Soderboom played for some reason, which I don't know why. But I think that shows you how much faith they have in their backup. Yeah, game two tonight versus the Moose. It was a 4 nothing loss to the Moose. Uh, Sotobloom did play again, as uh, John said. And he played well for the first two periods of play. He was solid in that. The, Haw- uh, the Hogs and Moose were battling it out back and forth hockey from this um, puck drop. The Hogs at one point were out shooting the Moose uh, 10 to uh, 4 in the first 10 minutes of play. Then the Moose started to get some control and moving the puck well. Kit, the Hogs stuck in their defensive zone. Kind of looked like how the Hawks were looking in their third game against the Sharks. But then the um, Hogs and Moose went into the second period of play, continued to play how it was in the first back-and-forth play, uh, penalties were called each side, and with a minute and 35 remaining in the first period, uh, in the second period, the Moose were able to get their first goal of the night, and then we go into the uh, third, where the Hogs go down by um, just goal after goal to end up losing it basically for nothing. Hogs had no more attack after going into that third period of play. Also, something I do want to mention is we went to back to our old ways. We, we started taking a lot of penalties in this game. Yeah. We took four of them, so that's not a winning recipe at all, yeah, to say the there, least. There were, there were a lot of penalties, including a too-many-men penalty, which that's something, that's something you never want to see. And I think it was a too-many-men penalty, which was like on the back of... It was a too-many-men penalty that was just after we had... Uh, given up a shorthanded goal, and uh, and the Moose killed a penalty, and then we take a too many men. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened there. Yeah, um, and that's uh, obviously that's that's frustrating there. So they ended up getting the win last night. Or they they ended up getting the win on Saturday night, uh, and it was a great comeback win. Sunday night, not as much. A little bit of a blowout. A little bit disappointing. Kind of frustrating. Soderblom playing in back-to-back nights is a little bit weird. Um, you guys think there's 
what would be the reason for that? Obviously, the, the uh, Hogs have uh, their backup currently as uh, Jackson Stauber. I just think they don't have faith in him for whatever reason. I, I get he's a rookie, but you also have to like play him, you know, to see if what he can do. Yeah, but I would ask like if they don't have faith in him, then what was the reason why they don't have another option? More, more specifically, why is Kale Morris in Chicago with the Wolves? I, I will say, I don't think it's a lack of faith in Stauber. I think it's just they have so much faith in uh, Soderblom. He, he's just, yeah. he was just amazing last year. Um, and I don't think it was anything that Stauber did. It was more like Soderblom was just so good last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can see that point of view but at the same time. Like, is the difference between Stauber, which is a, who is a rookie, and a tired Soderblom isn't like isn't really that big, in my opinion. I don't think that makes sense. Much there, I I I one hundred percent agree with that. It's a little bit weird. We'll see how much game time Stauber gets over the year, or if they bring in another goalie to compete with him for that backup spot. But for now, it seems like it's Soda's show, and you know we'll see how it goes from from there. Yeah. Lastly, let's go through the uh, Blackhawks' uh, upcoming schedule over the next week. Uh, the Hawks have a game on Friday night. It's their home opener of the season against the Detroit Red Wings. So it'll be good to uh, invite the Wings in to UC. Uh, we don't get to play them very often anymore, unfortunately, because of the division setup, but it's always great to bring the rivalry back, even though it doesn't happen a ton. It's always going to be a rivalry between the Hawks and Wings. It's an original six rivalry and Detroit side. I think we can all agree with that, Nick. Um, it's also worth noting that it's a revenge game for Dominic Kubelik, Pia Suter, Olimata, and Jordan Osterleaf. Yep. Oh my god, they have all of them. They have all, when did they get Osterley? <laughs> Osterley was in Detroit the last two years. But regardless, Hawks playing against the Detroit Red Wings. Red Wings, it appears, are trying to exit their rebuild at this moment in time. They had uh, some fantastic rookies last year, especially Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond. Obviously, we'll see what happens when we get to uh, the game on Friday. And then Sunday night, actually, not Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, this game is at 1 p.m. It's another home game. The Hawks will be playing against the Seattle Kraken. And the Kraken made some changes to their roster. They had a terrible first season in the league last year, and now they're trying to get things going. Um, As I mentioned before, because I was talking about Kingston, um, Shane Wright has been healthy scratched by the Kraken, and we'll see if that means anything uh, for like where he could be. But their star, as of late, has definitely been uh, Matthew Beneers, who's been off to a, a great start for them. Yeah, Berniers is a player to watch out for, especially if maybe Shane Wright does play that night. Maybe uh, Shane Wright sees the Hawks and says, hey, this team's not good. Maybe I can have my first uh, good game against the Hawks if he's in that lineup that night. But who knows? It will be an interesting game against Seattle because Seattle can be viewed in the Pacific as a mid-team and the Hawks being the Hawks this year, being a rebuilder, it's going to be a interesting matchup to see how it goes. 
Yeah, um, definitely the case. Besides that, the Hawks don't actually have a ton of games. We have a very long layoff until our next game because we play on Saturday and then we don't play again until the following Friday. So who knows if that rest will be good or if it will be bad. Um, notes on each of these teams as before. Um, the Red Wings started off their season 2-0. and uh, They beat the, uh, the Habs and they beat the Devils on back-to-back nights. And then the Kraken, um, they started off their season with uh, three points, uh, an overtime loss, followed by a win, followed by a regulation loss. So they're on three points after three games. We're on two points after three games. Everyone, let's go around and just give some predictions about these two games. Uh, what do you think is going to be the scores for both games, Nick? Hawks wings because we saw it last year. No defense were in that game in those two games last year between the Hawks and Wings, and I think that could be the same case this time around. I'm going to, to predict a five-four game, Detroit in overtime. And then Seattle Hawks, it will be a closer game, but um, I could see Seattle coming out with a victory in overtime, uh, maybe 2-1. All right, so you've got two points from two separate overtime losses there? Yeah. All right, Wally? Um, I'm going to say the Blackhawks lose to Detroit 3-1. to one. Um. And beat Seattle three to two in the shootout. John. Okay, so since we're the Red Wings' older brother, I think we win that game. I would say three to two in overtime. And since we're not very good against expansion teams, we'll lose to Seattle. Uh, let's say I'll say probably four to three. Uh, in regulation. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. For me, I think the first game. You know, it's the uh, it's the home opener. Um. I think that the Hawks are going to really try and show out, but I think that you know there could be some struggles there. We saw it last year with when the Wings were here. Um. That was the uh, national TV game where everyone said, "Oh my God, Seth Jones is bad." <laughs> Also, the famous Jeremy Colleton clipboard game. Oh my god. Oh my goodness, the Colleton clipboard game. I forgot about that. You brought back a memory I did not want to remember. But we have have an NHL head coach now behind an NHL bench. And because of that... With an NHL team. And because of that, I will say that the final score will probably be something like... Five to three in favor of the wings, but that goal will be an and that fifth goal will be an empty netter, something like that. And then Seattle, um, I do feel like this game is going to go to a shootout. That's just how I feel. I feel like this game is going to go to a shootout. And no, in the end, I think I'll give it to um, you know, I'll give it to the Hawks in the shootout. Just because, you know, I think that in the end, the Hawks and the Kraken are on similar levels. And because of that, 
you know, the Hawks have players with tons of experience in the shootouts. You know, Kane and Taze are some of the most experienced and highly scoring shootout players in the league or in in shootout history in the NHL. So in the end, I think they will be able to get that done. And ironically enough, I think all of us predicted the Hawks would end this two-game stretch with two points. That's going to do it for this third episode of the Hockey Puckcast. Be sure to tune in next week when we recap these last games that the Hawks played. You know, the Wings and the Kraken games that are coming up on Friday and Sunday. And we will look forward to the next week ahead of Hawks games and give you any more notes and details about prospects, Rockford, anything else that's happening in the Hawks sphere. We'll be sure to cover it here for you. So thank you once again for joining me, Wally. Let's go Hawks. Nick, Detroit Sox. Hell yeah. Sean? We are projected at 8th overall. Thank you, John. I'm Tyler. This is the Hockey Podcast, and we will see you next time. Music for this podcast was Cool Rock by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Find out more at creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash buy forward slash 4.0.